Welcome to the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of Brian, your host, and his guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested. So please, consume at your own risk. Now, here's Brian. Ladies and gentlemen, and whoever else is listening, welcome back to the show. Today we're talking with Dexter Pitts, a 12-year veteran officer in the Louisville, Kentucky area, and Iraq War veteran. In the wake of the 22nd anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, we come together to talk about the reason that fateful day motivated him to join the Army when he was only 18 years old, and his perspective in hindsight of those decisions. Well, hey man, welcome back to the show for, gosh, this is, this is your third time. Second time, isn't it? No, I think this is third. I've had you on, well, the time that we, I was on yours, I guess that counts. Yeah, so yeah. Maybe that's it, you know. Crossover. We're just recycling <laughs> old, old men stories, you know. You're the old man. I have no gray hair, sir. <laughs> it's coming. You will, age, you will age better than me. Just, just 39. Just, I told my wife, I was like, man, I've been growing my hair out a little bit. I was like, I ain't got a single gray yet, girl. A little thinning in the back, but it ain't gray yet. But I'm kind of waiting for it, man. Forty five knowledge. Forty five is when I started seeing it. Really? Yeah. And now oh, it's, man. Just like, it's just yeah, everywhere now. <laughs> looks right. good. It looks good on you. Got the little Hulk Hogan right there, man. Is that what, yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um nine eleven just happened. Their anniversary twenty second anniversary. Yeah. And that's the, that's that was the trigger point for you joining the military. So I wanted to have you on and, and just talk about what was going through your mind, that whole journey, your time in the military. Do you think it was valuable? You know, sometimes I wonder. You know, some of these wars and are like, are they? You know, as soldiers, do you think what the hell am I doing here? Or no, I'm here for a good cause. And I, I think through your book, I think you've told me you you do believe you were there for the right reasons and you did make some difference. So. Take it away, man. So I was, I think, 17 when the World Trade Center just came down. And I always get that day confused because it's been 22 years. And I'm like, dude, can't believe how much time has passed. But yeah. I just remember watching the towers actually fall. And it was like time was standing still, yo. And it's just like, oh, wow, like this is really happening. Like this is our generation's Pearl Harbor, bro. So it's just kind of like I saw this in real time happen. And, and I just remember that I knew. Like before, prior to that, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. In my in my mind, I was like, I'm going to be a pro wrestler because I loved pro wrestling back in the day, right? <laughs> loved pro wrestling. I was, I was, that's what I'm going to do after I graduate. Just college was not a thing for me. Hate, hated school. Still not a fan of school, yo. But that was my trajectory was going into wrestling, doing something. Right, you know, okay. but, <clears throat> if you're going into pro wrestling, did you have like a name? I had none of that figured out. I was just going to figure it out as I went, dude. Like, you know, like the, the, the ultimate warrior or whatever. The, there was all these crazy names. Yeah, back no, in the 90s. I didn't get that far, man. Okay. I just wanted to get into training, yo, but I just, it just never happened. But and just 9 11 captivated me, but and just seeing my homeland under attack, yo. And it's just like, I was like, I can't let this stand. I'm able bodied. I'm young, man. And I was like, I got to do something, man. And that's when I knew I was joining the military. But I tell people it was when I watched Black Hawk Down. That came out later that year, but when I was like, "Man, I'm gonna be a ranger," and then, and I just remember I just dove all into everything, going down to the recruiter's office, 
Sergeant First Class Ben and my recruit, my recruit, my recruiter, just talking to him. You know, he's just like, hey, well, if you want to fight, man, you need to go to the 10th Mountain Division. And I was like, that's where I'm going, man. And I didn't qualify for a Ranger contract. I tell people because I got a low score on the test. And it's not because I wasn't smart, but because I didn't apply myself when I took the test. I put that in my book. I just kind of guessed it out like, ah, yeah, 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 well, that looks good. And kind of went on about my way and it came back to bite me in the rear end because I wanted that Ranger contract and they couldn't give me a Ranger contract because or no or a bonus. And I was like, that's fine. I don't care about a bonus. You got people that join the military for college money for bonus. My bonus was getting to go and shoot the Taliban in the face. But that and go kill people. That that was my bonus. I just wanted to fight. Plain and simple. I didn't care about the money. I didn't care about the benefits. I wanted to avenge America. Destroy the enemy. That, that, that was it. That's what we say in the infantry. Close with and destroy the enemy. That is our goal. And man, I said I wanted to be a door kicker. I wanted to be on the front line. I wanted to be there. And to, for me, with 9-11, it's just looking at all that destruction in our homeland, but, and then how quick our response was as, as Americans. But we In September, we were boots on the ground in October in Afghanistan. But what happened between October 2001 and I think it was like November 2002, where we started uh, bringing Iraq into the fold of this thing, and George Bush claimed the axis of evil between Iraq Afghanistan, you know, and uh, North Korea, Iran. you know, the access, yeah, I know, in Iran, Korea, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the access of evil, you know, but and it's just, I feel like America lost focus of what we were really supposed to be doing because, and, and this is what a lot of people don't realize where were all the attackers from, Brian? Do you know Middle East? Where, or, no, what country in the Middle East? I think Syria, no, right. Saudi Arabia. Oh, sorry, most yeah. of those guys were from Saudi Arabia. And what do we do? We went to Afghanistan because that's where the Taliban was, but we are still in business with Saudi Arabia. And you got a question. Why are we still in business with Saudi Arabia when they were the ones that raised up these hijackers, bro? It's crazy. You know, it's absolutely insane. You know? So, but think it is at that point in time, I didn't know that. I had no clue. Well, with this. A, I just knew you're a child. Literally yeah, 17 that time. Yeah. All I know towers fell, bad men, terrorists, Brown people from the Middle East. Literally, that's all we know at that time. And we know what the media and the government was telling us. And on my, in my mind, America's attacked. Guess what? We're going to war. I ship off the boot camp August 5th, 2003. And so right before then, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to miss the entire war. I'm just thinking, man, America just dashed across the entire Iraqi desert and took Baghdad. And in my mind, like, damn it, I missed it, man. I'm not going to so be able to get in and get some. Let me back up a little. What was your vision of what you thought it would be going to war as Lord. a 17 year old? Well, at that point, you're probably 19. Yeah. What did you envision that to actually be versus what it was when you got there? Like everybody else, we Hollywood does a great job of depicting war as something glorious and fun. And I don't know what it, it's something in young men you know, that. We want to prove ourselves. And I like I was I told him I have to prove myself that I can do this, that I can be like the generations of guys before me in the Gulf War, the generation of guys before me in Vietnam and World War II. Like I wanted to be that tough. And be, and I just remember seeing all the movies like Saving Private Ryan and these guys putting it all on the line for their country under fire. Yo. And I was like, Am I good enough to be able to do that? I want to be able to do that. I want to prove I can do that. 
And also, I want to do something honorable and fight for my country. But like I said, in the movies, they show you the depiction of what it's like to go out and kill the enemy and see your friends get killed. And it looks horrible, but it's still Hollywood and they dress it up to make it look so good. And like, man, just the glory of dudes running through explosions and shooting and doing all the things that young men want to do. I don't know too many young men that just want to sit at a desk and be like, oh, no, I don't want to do none of that. But like I said, I grew up like most young dudes in the military in Fort Knox. And we, we used to go and play war on the weekends in the woods. And I mean, we'd be running around out in the woods for hours, man, just playing combat, playing army. And then now it's the time for me to actually do it. And when I put my boots on the sand, I was like, holy crap. I was terrified. I was like, it, it wasn't that I was terrified of going to war because I was still delusional when I was in Kuwait. It was, I wrote it in my book. It was when I called home to speak to my wife before we were crossing the Burma to Iraq from Kuwait. About a week before, she told me that my friend Deshaun Ote had, that, had, had died. I was best friends with his brother, Ronald. That's when it sit in like, he died real. in, in, a, was he in military as well? There's somewhere yeah, else. Yeah. He, he was died. a Marine. Okay. So he was a Marine and he was killed in, I believe it was in Ramadi. So Deshaun Ote and three other guys, they were a sniper team. So they went up to this building to do overwatch and do like sniper operations. And they had a one hour comm window where every hour they would have to send out comms and say, Hey, we're at this location. We're still good. Well, an hour passes, they missed their con window. Another hour passes, they missed their con window. And then I think another hour passed, three hours of no radio, of nothing, no com no communications. So what they think has happened, that insurgents saw them on top of this roof, snuck up on them in the night somehow, and got up into where they were at on the rooftop and slaughtered them all, destroyed them all, man. All four of them were just massacred, man. And so... When I learned about that, it was like, man, it's real now because people that I know are dying. You know, and then that don't seem so glorious when you when you realize, dude, this ain't a movie. There ain't no director to yell cut. But in my mind, it didn't scare me to the point where I don't want to do this. It really, it really ignited the war for me, the war on terror. It didn't made it real for me. It made it personal. Attacking my country was personal, but but killing my best friend's brother was extremely personal and I was like I definitely got to go now and I had to avenge these people back then and all I kept thinking was yeah I'm scared but I'm ready to kill every freaking last Iraqi I come across even though Iraq didn't have anything to do with 9-11 but that's how it was packaged to us as the American public you know but, but things like we don't, I didn't know that nobody knew that I was just going with everything that I knew that you know hey I mean George Bush man I liked George Bush and I just remember him during 9-11 giving that bullhorn speech. It's like, I hear you all. I hear you all. And the people that knocked down these towers are going to hear all of us real soon. And I was just like, man, but that's my president, bro. Let's go. Let's go get it. And, and I got in there and I got to get it. But it got me first, man. And I tell you what, just the months I was in Iraq. It, well, I'll, I'll, let, me go, let me go back to this. In boot camp. There's one part in my book where I talk about the first Iraqi I met up close. His name was Fockley. And I looked at Fockley like he was the enemy and I didn't know Fockley because I'm 19 years old, excuse me, 20. And all I know is every Iraqi is bad. Every Iraqi is going to kill you. Iraqis are not your friends because in boot camp, we're doing our cadences, you know, airborne ranger. 
It's like, I'm sleeping in a foxhole. You know, I'm thinking about my wife. Up jumps an Iraqi. I got him with my knife. That's all I knew. That was what drilled into us from day one of boot camp. The Iraqis are your enemy. Kill them all. Gut them all. Destroy them all. And at 19, you don't have a more compass of good Iraqi, bad Iraqi. All I know is, Drew, what makes Wrong. the green grass grow? Grow. Blood, blood, bright red blood. That was Kill part of every... those your cadences as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. What is the spirit of the bayonet to kill, to kill with cold blue still? What do you want to do? I want to kill. I mean, they're literally brainwashing yourself into becoming a soldier. And you have to be. If you want to be an effective soldier, you, you almost lose a sense of your moral compass because I was taught, you're not taught, you're not paid to think. You're paid to do what the guy above you tells you to do. But you, you still have to have some sort of a moral compass. Show. So when I met Fockley, when I was on detail, he was on our base driving around and, and he was uh, uh, emptying the septic tanks. And I remember just sitting there like this sideways, looking at him like with my rifle, like this month, if he blinks at me wrong, I'm gonna pop his ass. But, Cause I'm thinking he's the enemy. But, and he just kept trying to be nice to me, trying to be nice to me. And I'm just thinking, as soon as he's nice to me, I'm gonna blink, he's gonna kill me. But, but something in me told me, give this man a chance. You don't know this man, but my training has been telling me he's the enemy, bro. You let your guard down, he's gonna kill you. But, but the next thing you know, but, me and him are talking and laughing. And we became friends for the couple little for the hours that we were together. He showed me pictures of his family. I told him about my wife and me, and we just became. And I was like, he's a human being. So you had a little paradigm I, shift. Yeah, big time paradigm shift. And in my mind, I'm thinking maybe I'm wrong. Like maybe he's the enemy, and he's like, let me help me let my guard down. You'll be. That's going against everything I've been trained to do. But like I said, I'm 19, 19 20 years old. I don't have a moral compass in combat of. Good Iraqi, bad Iraqi. I just know all Iraqis are bad. That's that's an interesting. I mean, I know that I, I get why the military does what it does, but that's a that's tricky because obviously we know that you know so many of the Iraqi people were helping us. Yeah, absolutely. That, yes, that's what they were doing. They're working on base to make money to feed their families because the entire government had collapsed. <clears throat> Did you ever like talk to one of your? superiors about like hey maybe maybe this is the wrong way to go about training us because absolutely you know, not because of the, because you, you i mean you kind of mentioned you're, you're kind of trigger you're triggered just by his him being in your presence yeah no that never came to my mind because in the military you're taught as a private you you are nothing you do nothing you do what you're told. You don't you're think robot. for yourself. You're a literally, you are a robot. Babe. You, hey, you ask me what's the max effective range of my weapon? 3,725 meters. You know, what's the uh, max distance? You know, I can tell you all the stuff about my weapons, babe, tactics, babe, but I couldn't tell you anything about morality. Babe, and I, I just did, I didn't know. Babe. And for me, I've only been in the army <laughs> just over a year. I mean, who am I to say? Maybe this training is too violent. We need to be more, you know, we need to be more humane. But that wasn't, I'm in the infantry. We're not here to be humane. And that was one of kind of the issues with Iraq was we were on a mission to win hearts and minds. And you can't win hearts and minds in a war at the same time. The war exists for one reason, extreme violence to make the other side do what your will. That's it. 
Yeah. And I think honestly, I be this has been the I this is why I say I think World War II and maybe and I guess I go with the Korean War, but but more definitely World War II was the last real war America fought to protect America. Because when we went to Korea, it was the threat of what communism. Vietnam had nothing to do with us, but it was the threat of communism spreading. Yeah, you know, I really think that World War II was literally the last real good, honest war that we fought for the betterment of America and the world. For principle. For principle, man. But like we had a reason to go because there were literally, you know, the Holocaust. We were attacked in uh, Japan, you know, Japan attacked Pearl Harbor. I mean, we were literally, we had to go fight. But, but if you look at all the wars since then, all these other wars were pretty much political, bro. And what happened when we started fighting political wars? We started losing wars. Korea. Technically, the war never ended. The war is still on. It's just at a standstill. It's a peacetime. It's a, you know, we just kind of, it's a draw. <laughs> you know, but, but then you go to Vietnam. Technically, we never lost a battle in Vietnam. And we started going with the body count strategy, just trying to kill as many of them as possible. But guess what? We lost politically. We lost the war yeah. because of politics and Americans did not have the stomach to endure what they were seeing body bags coming back on TV from Vietnam, 58,000 men and women killed in the jungles of Vietnam. Then we got lucky with the Gulf War, which really had nothing to do with us, but Saudi Arabia, you know, our ally gets attacked. We go abroad to help Saudi Arabia and we should have took out Saddam then and there, but we didn't, we left them in power. And then the war on terror starts. Like I said, Bin Laden, I believe he is, I believe he's from Saudi Arabia. I believe he's Saudi Arabian. But, but then he goes and partners up with the Taliban, takes down the towers and goes and hides in Afghanistan. And then and what makes it even worse is in 2002 in March, the U.S. Army launched Operation Anaconda in the Shiakot Valley to take down Bin Laden and uh, this, this terror cell. And apparently... We had been Laden locked in and targeted, but they let him escape into Pakistan. And this carried out the war for another 10 years ago and find Bin Laden, which was the thing. So you got to ask ourselves, like, we go to Afghanistan, what's the mission? I don't think we ever had a real clear defined mission in Afghanistan or Iraq. I mean, take over the country. Okay, now what? We're going to force these people to become, you know, democratic. They don't want democracy. They don't want anything we have to offer. They don't understand it. I don't think. Don't it's not the their lifestyle. No, they're they're a tribalistic society. Afghanistan is extremely tribalistic, bro. Like, literally stuck in in time in the past, but but yet America, we're putting our mic forward, and you're going to become a republic. You know, we're going to become democratic. We're going to force you to become democratic. But but at the same time, I tell people, but a lot of guys I think are struggling from my generation from the war on terror with why we went over there. And I seen somebody comment the other day, like it wasn't, it wasn't work that we shouldn't have been there, blah, blah, blah. And they said, you know, he's ashamed of his service. And I tell people this, that veterans that feel bad about their service, don't look at the politicians and why they sent us and why we went to war. If they lied to a 19 year old kid and made something seem like it was this, but it was really this, that's not on that 19 year old kid that thinks he's going to fight for this flag behind me. In my you, mind, you were sold. You went under the guise of this is why we're going. And yes. People lie to you. Yeah, you're right. It's not on you. <clears throat> it's not on me. I don't have to answer for that. Bro. I don't have to answer for any reason to God 
for what I did when I was in there in Iraq. I said, thank God I didn't have to kill anybody, but I've done some mean stuff to people. And I mean, that's things I've done. I'm not proud of, man. But dude, but I went over under the assumption I was fighting for the United States of America in an honorable way because my country was attacked. You can't tell me that my country wasn't attacked. My country was attacked. Now, some people say it was a government job and all that. And inside, I don't, honestly, I don't get into any of that. I don't, I'm not black pill to the point to where I believe that the American government and this global cabal is just out to take power and just want to kill off American citizens to start a war to get money. But I do believe that there are evil people in the world that don't like America that took down the towers. And I do believe that there are corrupt politicians that saw this as an opportunity to make money. That's what I honestly believe. I don't think that the American government was involved in it because there's just so much. I hate these conspiracy theories, especially everything today is a conspiracy theory. And there's, there's receipts. I got, you know, no, people have, that say they have never worked for the federal government, <laughs> you know, but they, I, like I said, I, there was America involved in 9-11. I don't believe so. But I do believe that we took the American government and corporations took advantage of it to make a lot of money. Well, the, and I the, think that kept the wars going for years because we could have been out of Iraq a long time ago. Yeah. Afghanistan a long time ago. We went in, killed bin Laden, disrupted the Taliban. And I always believed in the uh, better to fight them over there than to fight them over here. Let me ask you, Brian, when's the last time we heard of an Islamic terrorist? 9 is the last time you heard of anything, really? Yeah, we had a couple incidents here and there after that. But in the last 20 years, bro, Ain't been a word about Islamic terrorism. I, mean, I remember I was on P's and, my P's and Q's all the time because they're trying to kill us over here and attack us, launch attacks. Well, the, the one thing that's getting by us is our own American citizens killing us in mass in these mass shootings. Yeah. You know, man, that that's that's the thing now. It ain't Islamic terrorist, but and I tell people I always feel bad because we always say the day after 9-11, I said America was so united. And it was everybody. We're all Americans. We're all Americans, which we were. We were united. We were all Americans, unless in your Arabic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Try you talking to people. some of your Islamic friends that were in America around that time. Yeah. No, I, 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 I it's like we were, but yet we were suspicious now because we had this common enemy <clears throat> that everyone was fully aware of because of what mm-hmm. happened. And it was so front and center. Yep. And I, I didn't know any is uh, Arab people growing up, bro. I didn't. I'm sure I was around them, but I didn't know any Muslims. Not well, in my we did area. the same. We in World War II, Japanese. Just literally less than an hour from where I live, Japanese internment camps out in the mm-hmm. West Desert of Utah. Yep, rounding up Japanese just because they were Japanese. Yeah. You know, if 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 all the Mormons did something crazy, people would start looking at us looking at us suspiciously as well. Well, y'all been killed off systematically too at certain times and portions, bro. <laughs> So they're a little been weird. Of, so yeah. Anyway. Weird, but I still, that's not a reason to go and just kill people. No, it's not. <laughs> like, and there's been plenty of Mormon massacres, man. It's just ridiculous what, how we react to people that aren't like us and that we don't know. And that we're, we're afraid of what we're, we we're afraid of. We yes, we are. We absolutely are. But, and I was afraid of the Iraqi dudes. And but most of these people don't know us, don't care. But I asked myself, how would I feel if I was on my back porch drinking coffee? And the next thing you know, North Korean airborne troopers start dropping from the sky. I don't care what reason you're here for. I'm getting my gun. (laughs) Yeah. And I kind of feel the same way about the crisis at the border right now, bro. Like our country's literally being invaded, bro. And it makes me so mad because I'm like, you don't belong here. You're just forcing your way into my country. 
hey, if you want to come knock on my door and come in, I'm all about it. But, but taking over, coming into my country illegally, I got a serious problem with that, especially when, like I said, the U.S. government is proving that they're not they're willing to not take care of the people that have made this country and the people that pay the taxes, man. And like I said, it's just it's just such a weird w- world we're living in right now, bro, where the government literally does not care about anybody but the, itself. I honestly think they never have um, never been a big believer in it. <laughs> it's because it's not it's not their money. It's not their it's you know, it's you're not going to have the same stewardship over something you earned versus something you were given. Or t- that was yes. taken, and the whole border thing—I don't know what the answer is. I—I I know that if people are risking their lives to come here, they must be coming from some absolute shitholes that are frightening. And I—I—I I, I, I don't know if I told you the story, but I met a young man. He's similar. He's—he's he's 38, younger, a year younger than you. He walked here from Ecuador. It took him five months. He walked here, and I'm thinking, what drives someone to do that if where they're living is just okay? And it's, and I don't, you know, and if, if, if the numbers of people crossing the border are accurate, yeah, it's eventually going to overwhelm everything. And it's just going to, it's going to lower the quality of life for everyone, including and the people that's, coming. Yes. That's the biggest issue, man. New York city right now, uh, mayor, Eric Adams, he's saying that. that we don't have the, uh, we don't have the money the infrastructure to, to, people. to handle that. Yeah. But that's at the same time, you'll tell him at first a couple months ago, no, they're all welcome. We're, they're welcome here. And all of a sudden it changes, man. And that's why I'm just like, man, but, Love my country, but I question my government, bro. Because my government told me that this war I was going to go fight was a just war and that there were weapons of mass destructions in Iraq and they showed us all this stuff and none of it was true. But like I said, that doesn't detract from my honor and the pride that I have of being a U.S. Army veteran if we're going to fight for my country. You did it for the right reasons. Now, the right reasons. looking back, do you feel like you were completely duped? As a young soldier, just marketed this, they marketed this message and propagandized you into, into believing all that, you know, the brown people were bad, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I believe, I do believe that we were all duped. I mean, like I said, if you just look at the evidence of it, there's weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> Where are the weapons of mass destruction? They, they weren't yeah. there. Now, Afghanistan. If we would have just went to Afghanistan and stayed in Afghanistan this time, nothing wrong with that because that's the, that was the launch pad for 9-11. But like I said, but we're completely, you know, we're looking past Saudi Arabia who gives us all this money and all this gas and resources, but we just ignore what Saudi Arabia is doing in 9-11 and continue to do business with them, man. So, I mean, I feel like the government has duped the American people in general, like you said. Just don't, there's no reason to trust the government right now, man. But I mean, if we were going to go after somebody, we should have gone after Saudi Arabia and Afghanistan. You supplied the bodies that took down our towers and killed all these people, man. But money talks and money's the only thing that matters to these people. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And the, the, the sad reality is that none of us will really know for sure the why behind because, I mean, it's spun or marketed to you in a different way or mediaized or whatever. It's tough. And, and how do you, or is the military struggling to get recruits now? Oh, big time, brother. Big time. And I, I tell people this on my podcast a couple weeks ago, I said, this is the first time in my adult life where I tell people, 
If you don't have to join the military, don't. If it's a last resort and it's all you got, go for it. But, but I don't believe that the military is doing is being righteous right now. What we're doing, bro. I just don't. And I don't trust the people that are in charge. Dude, if you look at Afghanistan and how Afghanistan unfolded, Afghanistan was a disaster. 13 soldiers and sailors and Marines died. Countless oh, yeah, about the, the, the extrication the withdrawal. from Afghanistan? Yeah. 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 I mean, and guess what? Nobody in command in the military is being held accountable for anything. Nobody. If you would have gone to work and done something that led to catastrophe like that and embarrassed your company, what would happen to you? Yeah, I'd be gone. You'd be gone. And prosecuted, but, probably. Yeah. I mean, but not these guys. Bro, this was the biggest kerfuffle since the withdrawal in Vietnam, bro. I mean, and then everybody, you just start thinking, for what? And the fact that we had intelligence, people on the ground, Marines saying, hey, there's a guy coming in this type of car that looks like this type of person with the car bomb, and he's going to blow this car bomb up. And I believe from what I read in some of the interviews I heard, they had eyes on this dude. They had him locked in with guns and machine guns and artillery and, uh, and bombs from uh, drones. And they were told to hold your fire. Is this the dude that, that detonated that car bomb at the, like the gates where everyone was trying to yeah. get through at the airport? Yep. America knew for some odd reason, they told them, hold their fire. Cost lives, American lives. We hadn't lost lives in Afghanistan to combat in years, almost at that point. It had been a couple of years since soldiers were actually killed out on patrol because the Taliban got smart towards the end. They were like, hey, America's growing weak. America's going to leave. We're going to let them think they're in control, retreat to our caves, live our lives. But as soon as they start withdrawing, what did the Taliban do? The Taliban comes out of the mountains and starts this sweep across the country, taking over Afghanistan, taking over everything. And because they knew America did not have the political will to win this war. America don't have a stomach for it, dude. 20 some odd years, dude. 20 years at a war. Lost friends over in Afghanistan, man. And then I'm like, for what? What was the cause? If we're, We could have stayed in Afghanistan. Because it is a major, it's a it's a real good tactical hub because Afghanistan, dude, we can launch so many operations from that area, dude, just out into other parts of the world in case we needed to you know run operations. But we gave up that the biggest airfield in the Middle East, bro. For what? Dude, we didn't have to. There was no need to. We could have just stayed there at that point. We we're already just like having a foothold in the Middle East in a crucial part of town. But we gave everything up. Why? who knows at this point man yeah. <clears throat> and you know one administration is going to blame the other and mm -hmm. it's yep. it's just like why can't we all just get along like you know God, i really wish rodney king said <laughs> those years I, ago <laughs> you know but I, I really wish we could man but it just seems so impossible when you when we have incompetent selfish leaders None of us are getting along because, like I said, there's money to be made in the divide, as we all know, bro. And there's also, when you look at the military, you have to look at the military-industrial complex and how much money they're making. Like Lockheed almost, Martin. Oh, you almost have to look at it the same way you look at media as a business, and and, mm -hmm. and they are. It's hard. It's hard not to. I don't know how else you would look at it. Because war is a big business. Yeah, it is.
bro. I mean, but I, the stuff I saw when I was in Iraq, man. So I remember this pallet, this giant pallet. Somebody was like full of computers over on Camp Victory, man. and it came back the next day and it was gone. They said they somebody said they threw the whole thing away, man. And dude, I mean, we I was eating meals in Iraq of steak and lobster provided by KBR, Kellogg Brown and Root. Man. Had laundry services, bro. But Kellogg Brown and Root made so much money off of the war in Iraq. Catering, ton of money, literally catering. Yeah, oh, bro, it was ridiculous. And I was like, yo, like what? I mean, I mean, we had these amenities that no other people in history of war has ever had, bro. It was amazing, yeah. But I'm, I never stopped to think about how much money are these people making on all this, dude? And we know K, well, KBR was on uh, by the Cheneys. The Cheneys had. Money in KBR, but, out or something. Yeah, yeah, bro. And I mean, they clean house, and Cheney was good friends with Bush. Follow, yeah. follow, follow the money. Follow the money. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I was, I worked for the Force Service on a, a hotshot fire crew for four seasons, and I saw, <clears throat> on a small scale, some of the stuff you're talking about, just the money that was pissed away and made, and and the money we were people were charging and they were paying us and the, the caterers and everything. I mean, we'd set up these little mini cities on a fire for months. And as soon as they brought in like this incident command team, it would just seem to drag out. It's almost like they wanted it to go longer to, to so they could bill more money to the government. I saw that all the time. It was as a, you know, it was, it was similar to your age at the time, you know, it was 18, 19, 20. I didn't care. I didn't really know, but I noticed it for sure. Oh yeah. The waste. Like, like you just, said, let's go put it's it easy out. To let's spend. go get in there, put it out, do the job, get out. <laughs> it's no. easy to spend somebody else's money that's not yours. So, how it works with the federal government is, say you're the uh, you're the uh, range instructor, and I'm like Brian, you got five million dollars to spend this fiscal year for you know range stuff, guns and shooting. And so, if it comes down to a month out from the new fiscal year, you haven't spent that five million dollars. Guess what? Your budget it. gets chopped because you don't need it. Yeah, so you, you don't need it. it. Guess what they do? They start buying all types of dumb crap to figure out how can we reach to five million dollars to justify the budget. And I'm just like, man, this is insane. And you force people to blow American taxpayer dollars on bull crap that they don't need, like two million dollar TVs and like desk chairs and stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with training. And it's just government waste, dude. Government waste, right? It makes me so mad. And then if you look at what's going on with Ukraine, all I heard that every dollar, like that, every like fifty dollars that gets spent in Ukraine, like a hundred dollars comes back into like the U.S. Man, it's like they're making so much money off of this war in Ukraine, which is why they don't want it to end. The military-industrial complex and all those javelin rockets that they sent over there to Ukraine, that money comes back into the U.S. Man. So, of course, these politicians who are all in on the stocks, insider trading, they make making bank because war is, is good business, bro. That's literally all it is. And it makes me sick to my stomach. And it's just like, man, why are we like this, America? We're supposed to be the light of the world. But we are literally no more corrupt than some third world countries. We just look prettier doing it. That's it. We are literally no better than a small tribe in Uganda that's, you know, taking over another tribe and killing everybody off. And we're literally no better. The greed, the greed of men knows no bounds. None, bro. And it, it's sickening, man. But it's horrible. And we don't help the people that really need help.
prohibit, but like I said, politicians self-serving and just keep getting their pockets fat, bro. I mean, there's no reason you should be in office for 50 years and be, no. and, and be, have millions upon millions of dollars. Because the point of service is to serve people, not to serve yourself and get like, more I money. I was a public servant. Nah, were you? <laughs> were you? Yeah. Let's define servant. See if it's yeah. the same definition. Yeah. You know, Jesus used to wash his disciples' feet. And I tell yeah. you now, Mitch McConnell ain't tried to get down and wash these dogs, bro. <laughs> <laughs> right. These guys. Oh, man, we could go on and on about this. Oh, man. I'm telling yeah. you. So I wonder... Let's go there. Because, like, you know, every year, you know, you get the Memorial Days, you get the, you know, the all the Veterans Days where thank a veteran. And and I still, again, like you said, someone like you, you went for the right reason. So, yeah, your service is honorable and you should be thanked for that. But I always say, wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to have a Memorial Day or if we didn't have to have Veterans Day, if we didn't have to have veterans to go out and, and do this and and I don't know, my dad said something years ago that he said, every, there's, there's always going to be someone that wants to take what you have. And I, you know, it's fairly profound. And I believe that there's always going to be someone that wants what you have and they want to just take it. So you always have to have some kind of defense, I would think, unless everyone decides to learn, you know, live the Boy Scout rule, which is not going to happen. Yeah, never. Do unto others. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's just been since the, that's been America, the world story since the beginning of time, man. People well, literally the, just take over the weaker tribe. Uh, it, it is the do unto others rule. It's the do unto others before they do unto you rule. That's that's what it is. Not not as they would have do, them do to you, but get get them before they get you. It's yeah, and I tell you, we America, we've gotten real good at it. Like I say, we try to seem to be the moral authority and hold the moral high ground, but we really don't, man. I say we've done a lot of good stuff and we've done a lot of honorable stuff, but. We've also done a lot of despicable and deplorable things as a country, man. And I don't think we could ever overlook that or overshadow that. But at the same time, we have to look at also what America has done that is good. I mean, we were one of the first countries in the world to get rid of slavery and say this isn't right. But, you know, it's like. I heard a great statement years ago that said about, about America. And, you know, yes, we've done some bad things. But he said no other country in the history of the world has amassed so much wealth and power. And abused it so little. I don't know if it, it, it makes uh, sense. I don't know, man. Not, but it makes sense. No, I heard I was heard somebody talking about how much how many lives have been lost at the head of communism. Which uh, there are a lot of people have died because of communism. Yeah. But let's be honest, <laughs> capitalism without without morality ain't much better, bro. <laughs> and I'm like, and I believe in capitalism, capitalist, but at the same time. We have to look at the people that are leading the charge in capitalism these days, man. It's, you know, these three major companies, BlackRock, Vanguard, and uh, State Street, bro. They're taking up everything. But I'm like, where's the morality? There is no morality anymore. And they are literally in charge of everything, man. And I tell people, that scares me. Yeah, you, almost that's... you almost don't even want to look behind the curtain. No. Like, just let me live my life. Yeah, and literally, that's at the point I'm at, man, where I hear stuff happen and I'm like, okay, bro, like, well, what am I really going to do about it then? Like, what are any of us really going to do about it? Because a lot of these stuff and these products we have to have and we need, and it's like, yeah, okay, we're going to boycott Bud Light. Boycott Bud Light is owned by Anheuser-Busch. How much other stuff does Anheuser-Busch have? And then when you got to think about, well, I'm going to boycott this, 
What about the people that are working at Bud Light that don't agree with what the company's doing, but they got to feed their families? And now we're impacting other Americans that ain't got nothing to do with it, just trying to make a living. Yeah, everything is connected. Everyone and everything is so interconnected. Everything. We forget that that you know you do one thing and and the the ripple effect downstream. Yeah. So that's why I tell people, man. I don't on my podcast. I don't talk politics a lot anymore. I used to, but I just feel like it's pointless because politicians and politics are going to do what they've always done. That is never going to change, man. But but the most the the most you could do to bring change is how you live your everyday personal life. And that's how, how I am when I'm out on the streets, how I'm talking to somebody and treating somebody that goes a lot longer than what Trump or Biden could do for anybody. But Cause let's be honest, what has Trump? I love Trump. I, I voted for Trump, but what has Trump done for me personally? Can't. What has nothing. any president? Can't. Nothing. None of them can. None of them can, bro. It's like they're, they're a guy that sits in a nice desk in a nice office and he strokes a pen on some paper with some stuff, bro. I mean, that's literally it. The real change comes when we decide in our individual everyday lives, we're going to be better. Better. Uh, there's a quote from Andy Frisellis from the Real AF podcast. I love this dude. He says, personal excellence is the best rebellion. But, and I believe that 100%. But like, I can't control what these companies are doing, but I can't control what I am doing. And how I'm acting and how I'm reacting, bro. When I tell people, I don't have the emotional capacity to give all these people all my energy every day. And can you believe what they're doing that the Biden administration is doing? Can you believe what Trump just did? Can you believe what these guys or these corporations are doing? I'm like, man, I can believe it. But at a point, it's just like, I hate to say I don't care, but I know we have to care to some degree. But what? how am I going to change that other than my vote? There's really... It almost it, it almost paralyzes you into doing nothing. So <laughs> I tell people, all the, and I try to think of it this way, because we all want to change the world. Everybody wants to change the world. And, and we sometimes think that it has to be in this grand scale. But like you said, how you are when you're on duty, you run across somebody and giving, showing them respect, that's changing the world. That's the ripple effect that you don't see. It's not sexy. Well, when you're doing it, it's sexy, but you know. <laughs> Thank you for noticing. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah just our own individual that's how we do it is we our own circles our own worlds we change the world by changing our world yeah that's, i heard somebody say what what happens in your house is more important than what happens in the white house all day literally long. all day long all day long bro and that's why i'm just like I, that's why i tell people i've been, i've not been doing my podcast as much because like literally i've been focusing on getting my personal affairs in order my finances and being there for my kids in my my neighborhood, bro, like I tell people, so I do the podcast. I work 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. I coach my son's football team. And now we recently, me and my wife and I just started teaching Sunday school at our church, bro. Like it's a lot of stuff to take on, but it's just like, what's more important to me? I love my podcast. I love doing the fun stuff. But at the same time, I'm trying to build the next generation of the Pitts family to go out and be world changers, you know, and be good people in this life, bro. And it's like, I love the podcast, but the podcast ain't going to do that. Now, when my kids get older, they'll better go back and listen and be like, man, daddy was a fool, but he was funny, but he said a lot of good stuff. But right now at seven and 10, my kids are looking at everything I do and everything I say. 
And so I've been trying to be more of a present father and not just a financial provider because it's important, man. Like I, I see my son's heart light up. Like when he plays football and I'm there on the field because I'm a coach and I look at him and say, Hey man, I'm proud of you, dude. I could just see this dude heart blow up. It just, he gets so happy. And, and I look at my daughter, I'm like, Hey, your skin looks beautiful today. Oh bro. Her world just lights up. You know, I'm just like, man, this is the stuff that matters right here. How dare you provide a healthy family for your kids? You are screwing up the whole system, man. I'm, I'm messing up the system. I know, man. Jeez. I came to work late the other day. My buddy told me he was like, oh, nice of you to finally come to work. Kind of, He was kind of being a jerk about it because I came in late and we're short. I was like, pardon me for being a present black father in my kid's life, homie. My bad. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> How dare me? You're like, I got a lot of work to do, so shut up. Yeah, bro. So, you know, it's all about prioritizing it. I tell people my priority, I love my country. My priority, I love America. I do. I would die for this country to continue to exist. I almost did. Well, you willingly did. Yeah, you got seriously wounded. Yeah, yeah. Well, I almost lost the arm, but thank God it's still here. And, and I love my family. Man, God, my family is like the core of everything I do, man. Like, I love my kids, and I want my kids. My sole purpose in life is when I die, I want to be surrounded by my kids and my wife and grandkids and say, man, he was a good man and we want to carry his legacy forward. Like that's literally what I'm working for now, man. And my legacy is, you know, love a country, integrity, personal responsibility and Christ, man. Like those are my things. That's like, that's, that's it for me. It's selfless service, bro. Like that's it. Like that's what I want to build for the next generation of the Pitts family, man. If I do anything less than that, I don't care if I go out of here making $5 billion because my podcast popped off and I go big, big. But if I'm on my deathbed and everybody's like, man, I'm glad that black bass is gone. I have failed. If you live, leave this life and you have millions of dollars, but nothing to pass on lesson wise or integrity wise, bro. And all you leaving is money. You didn't do it right. And that is not what I'm after, man. I really want the world to be a lesser place without me in it. That's how yeah. I want to live it, man. Like you want it when you go, well, while you're here and when you go, you want to make a dent. I really want to. I'm trying. And it's so hard, dude. It's so hard because, you know, I mean, I'm a human and man, I get my, I get tested all the time at work when I'm in the police uniform. But, and I constantly have to remind myself that as a man of God, you and me, I think you and I have had this conversation before, but the people I am policing are God's children. And sometimes I look down on them because they do things that are despicable and horrible and they make me so mad. <laughs> but I can't hold myself over them because I'm the same person as them. I just do. I just sit a different way, man. You know? So I, I constantly have to remind myself why I'm doing what I'm doing, why I've done the things in the past that I've done. And remember that no matter what I do, I'll never be good enough to get into heaven on my own because it ain't about works. You know, it's about accepting, you know, Jesus Christ's love. And accepted him as my savior. Like literally, not, no matter what I've done, bro, none, none, nothing matters if I don't do that one thing, man. Boom, mic drop. Fair enough. Try. You're doing rough, it. man. I told you. No, you're doing. It. You're doing a good job. I've I've seen the things you're doing, and you are. You are. You are doing it. You, you may think you're not, but you are. I question it all a little bit every day. That's the definition of perfection. You show up every day, and you're trying. To make your kid, your life better, your family's life better, the people you 
have stewardship over and, and policing better, you're doing it. So give yourself. I just hope risk. they see it. I hope they see it. Damn they man. may not. Um, or if they do, you may not even know, ever know about it. But you know, it's one of those things where I think Mother Teresa said something like, "Do good, whether someone, if someone doesn't like it, or you you get in trouble for it, or if it backfires, do good anyway. Just do do the right thing, regardless. It's just much easier to live that way. So, no, how can I, people find your show? The Iron oh, Pits podcast yeah, on all major. You, let's talk about your book and your podcast real quick. Yeah, we'll wrap yeah. This up. Yeah, but so if you want to listen to the Iron Pits podcast, just go to Google, put in Iron Pits, and you can find it on all of your major podcasting platforms. I remember I actually got, I just started doing the video thing, bro. So <laughs> I need, yeah. I'm working my way up to getting a better camera. So that's a whole that's, different animal, the video. It really is, dude. Just stare into I'm, a little hole and pretend there's yeah, people there. Yeah, but, and I'm about, about three weeks behind on the show because I've been working like crazy. So are you behind? Yeah. I tell everybody I'm always behind, bro. Like I, yeah. I tell people my my podcast is not for the latest up to date news. This is me giving my opinion on stuff that y'all already heard about. <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah, and, and I tell people like, man, you can't stress yourself out. This is a hobby. Yeah. And so I've learned a lot over the last couple months about how dramatic the podcast industry can be with people beefing, and I'm like, bro, I'm not getting stressed out over something I do as a hobby. <laughs> I'm just not doing it, man. So. I don't, I'm not in it for the ego. It's just fun. And I get to meet cool people like this guy here. I'm talking to man. Like if I would have never started a podcast, I would have never met Paris the thought like this is freaking pretty cool, man. So, you know, got that. The podcast is rocking and rolling, working on getting the video better. Then there's also the book. I am Pitts memoirs of the American Patriot. And actually I just got a message from a guy on Instagram. He was telling me he was not happy with my, one of my last few podcasts I did on a incident that happened with the Dallas police department and, uh, a veteran and he's like man you went on this rant and you were just totally wrong and i told him i didn't know all the facts bro. i just kind of knew what i knew and he was like well you're wrong and i was like hey you know what i appreciate you reaching out to me and telling me that so i'm gonna go back and do my next podcast let him know this guy says this is what really happened because i'm not in this to be right i'm just in this to kind of give my opinion and my well, thought. at the time again didn't know we yeah you could say that's my perspective today there may be new information, but I, I don't I don't have time to research every detail no, I talk no. about. And so, if, you know, I've never had anybody call me out on something being wrong, but. Um, oh, I haven't been married long enough. Oh, I'm married, but I'm talking about the show. That's, different. That's a whole different. Whole it's different though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So that, like I said, uh, definitely tune into the podcast if you can. And also the book, I Am Pitts, Memoirs of the American Patriots, still doing well. You know, the guy that was actually telling me about that was like, man, I just bought your book. It's phenomenal so far. So that's still going well. I'm actually working on trying to get an actual publisher to help me get it officially published, published as a self-published book. And I'm trying to get it redone as an actual published book by a publishing company because there's a lot of mistakes that were done in there because the guy that was supposed to do the work that I paid didn't do what he was supposed to do. Ain't gonna lie, I'm still a little bitter, y'all. Still a little upset. It cost right. me, I think it cost me gold in an award category. So I, I, I don't know if I told, I, yeah, I did tell you, but uh, my book won an award. It was the uh, Global Book Awards contest for the war slash military category. I walked away with the second place silver medal and I was kind of upset. I'm like, man, I bet it's because of the mistakes in my book. I didn't get the gold. But regardless, uh, somebody was like, man, you're too hard on yourself, bro. And I'm like, I know I'm hard on, I have to be hard on myself. 
But somebody was like, bro, this is your first ever book and to win an award. That's pretty spectacular. Yeah. It's yeah, it's pretty cool, but it's just yeah. like, man, if I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna shoot for the stars, man. <laughs> well, yeah, and you should. And you do that with your second one that you're working on. I am. And there's been no moving on that in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> but the right. ideal's there. It. It's, it's there. It's it's I've got it, bro. Like I said, well, hopefully I get through with this everything in the next couple months and I start putting a little bit more time into that. But until the second book comes out, the first book is still available at ironpits.com or go on a hop on amazon.com and get yourself a copy. And if you do, please feel free to leave me a review. It really helps me a lot, y'all. I'd really appreciate it. You know, and I, I, I appreciate book. you, man. I don't, I don't I don't think I've given you a review on it, but I'll go give you a review on the book on Amazon. But I've read it and it's but, a good book. Yeah, you're a good dude. I look forward to meeting you in the flesh man. one day. Hey, I'm trying to come out there to Skinwalker Ranch, man. Seriously? <laughs> Yeah, I want to. <laughs> I try to. I want to come out there. Yeah, that's why. That's my whole goal towards working to paint stuff off. Because I told my wife I want to start living a little more, yeah. traveling and seeing people a little more, and just not just seeing people through the phone and computer. Yeah. I want to be able to smell the Mormon on you, man. I want to see what it's really like. Well, it'll, it'll turn. It'll turn you, man. It's infectious. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> You'll be one of us pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> They've already tried. They failed. <laughs> It's it's a no, they haven't failed. It's a slow process. You won't even it's called, it's called Mormon voodoo. Mormon voodoo. Yeah, and it just it's it's it comes in the form of like cookies and love and kindness. And one day you'll be in and you won't even know how you got there. So and that's how I got that's why I was always invited to the barbecues, man. Always, man. <laughs> always though. Well, man, thanks again for coming on and sharing your thoughts about your whole service journey and, and nine 11 and, and all the good things you're doing. I appreciate it. I appreciate your friendship and as always, brother, same with you, keep, man. We'll, we'll keep it going. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You may keep up the show. Keep doing the good work, man. Done, man. I appreciate you, Brian. Thank you again for listening to the parish, the thought show. We know you have many podcast options and appreciate that you have chosen us. If you love what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us. And don't forget to share, like, and subscribe. If you hate what you hear, only tell us. You're still here? Click on the next episode for more from The Parish the Thought Show.